Good morning once again and welcome to FAM Church. We're excited that all of you are here this morning and we're in week two of this series called Breakthrough. And if you were here last week, um, um, what we're going to be doing through this series is we're going to be looking at some key elements, some key ingredients, some key things that we need to have as a church and as individuals in our lives in order to see breakthrough. Because the bottom line is that many believers, they're going, they're making their way through life and they're not seeing breakthrough. It's the same old, same old, day in, day out, and it doesn't seem like God is doing anything. It doesn't seem like God is changing lives. It doesn't seem like God is touching people, but we know that that's what God wants to do, and so we're going to look at these key areas to experience breakthrough. And so last week, uh, we started off, and uh, the first thing that we looked at in order to see breakthrough last week was expectation. We talked about this as the key, the foundation to this whole series because if we don't have expectation in believing that God is going to do something, expectation in believing that God is going to break through, nothing else is going to happen. And what we did was we, we, we looked at a, a, a section of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John were going to the temple one day. And uh, as they were going to the temple, there was this man who, who needed to be healed. He was a beggar. His, his legs were not functioning for some reason. And so uh, um, Peter and John and this man have this encounter. And what we looked at was we saw that there was two different perspectives on which these guys looked at the world, okay? The beggar sitting at the temple gate, his expectation was this. My day is going to be the same as it was yesterday, as it was the day before that, it was the week before that, as it was the year before that. I'm going to sit here in front of the gate, and every single day I'm going to ask for money, hoping that people throw change into it. He wasn't expecting anything else from God other than what he was getting. And the second thing that we saw about him is that he was not a follower of Jesus. He was just a guy living his life. But then we move on to Peter and John and they had a completely different perspective, okay? That day when Peter and John headed out into the city, they had an expectation. Their expectation was that God was going to do something in and through them that day. And so as they got to the temple gates and they saw that man sitting there, when they said to him, silver and gold, we don't got any of that, but what we got in the name of Jesus walk, they were expecting God to heal him. And another thing about them was, of course, Peter and John are followers of Christ. And what we saw was that many believers live their lives with the perspective of the beggar sitting at the gate rather than the perspective of Peter and John. See, we go by day after day, week after week, year after year, and we just don't expect God to do anything. We come into church Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and we just kind of get into the rut of the same old, same old every single week, and we, then we say, gosh, why am I not having an encounter with God? And we saw that what we need to do is take our expectations and move them from the expectation that it was just going to be like any other Sunday every time we walk in those doors and expect Every Sunday when we come in that God is going to do something fresh, that God is going to do something new, that God is going to do something powerful when we walk in here. We should expect an encounter with Jesus. This was the pattern that we saw over and over from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament 
Joshua out there fighting in a battle, needing some more daylight. He commanded the sun to stand still. He expected the sun to stand still. In Joshua 10, you had Elijah and the axe that fell in the river, piece of iron. They never float. But Elijah expected this iron axe head to float. Jesus, at a wedding, they were running out of wine, they were, and uh, the expectation was that Jesus was going to take water and turn it into wine. Expectation is the key to unlocking an encounter with Jesus. So the question became for us is then how can we move to expectation? How do we change our thinking so that we are expecting? We do that by making our uh, faith and belief that God wants to do something and turn that faith into action. See, faith says, yes, God can heal. Expectation is, I expect God to heal somebody this Sunday. And so what we saw was if we believe that Jesus is the hope of this world and he wants to reach lost people, we can't just have faith that that's going to happen. But what we have to do is say, you know what, I'm expecting God to do that. And so therefore, I'm going to bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus with me to church so that they can encounter the living God and have their lives transformed. See, faith says that we walk in the door with chains on our life, and we say God can break those chains off. Expectation is where we come in and say, you know what, God is going to break those chains off of my life today. And what we saw was when we move from just faith to faith with expectation, it lays a soil here for God to do great things in our church. And that's the first step in a breakthrough is expectation. And so let's move on to today's. And a second element for breakthrough, and uh, Eden already said it, but I'm still going to uh, do my in- intro anyway. Um, so uh, how about North Korea? What's everybody think? Kind of funny, huh? Guy's kind of crazy, isn't he? He's got one nuclear bomb, and he thinks he can hold the whole world hostage with a nuclear bomb. He's got one. Okay, He doesn't have a whole arsenal like so many other countries have. The man has one bomb, and he thinks he is one big, bad dude, right? Well, we know why he thinks he's one big, bad dude. Because that one bomb can do a whole lot of damage, right? It's the most powerful weapon ever developed by human beings. It's a weapon that we can put in a city and completely destroy the city. I mean, think about it. If you were to go back in time, go back 100 years and just walk on the street somewhere and just say, hey, in 100 years, they're going to have a bomb so big and powerful that it can completely level New York City. They'd probably say, you're crazy. They're not going to have anything like that. But yet, here we are. We do. We can destroy any city. And so why am I talking about North Korea and nuclear weapons? For many of us, I think in our life, in our journey with Jesus, we would look at that and we would say, well, that's cool. I'd like a spiritual weapon that has that kind of force and power, something that will destroy cities, something that will uh, 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 break through everything that are challenging me. And here's the deal. We have that weapon today. We have something that if we use it and that if we exercise it has incredible power to go into battle and fight and destroy and wipe things out. What is this wonder weapon? This wonder weapon is worship. 
And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of texts. We're going to look at a text from the Old Testament, and we're going to look at a text from the New Testament. And we're going to see the power that is contained within worship and when people engage in worship. And we're going to start this morning in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles is in the Old Testament about halfway through. We're going to be in chapter 20. 2 Chronicles is the history of the nation of Israel from the time of Solomon's death up until the uh, nation was invaded, taken captive by Babylon and hauled out of there and hauled back to Babylon to be held as prisoners for 70 years. And uh, this is what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 23, so it's a long section of Scripture, so try and bear with me, because I know that when somebody starts reading from a text and not really engaging, people check out, so just kind of stay engaged. If you don't know where it's at, the, the, the verses will be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. But this is what it says. It says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hezazan Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether by sword or judgment, plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Amon, Amon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possessions you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the, uh, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descent. How many of you, uh, that's how you reference yourself. Like you're the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. Anyone? Well, that's really, that's a lot to say, isn't it? He said, uh, listen, King Jehoshaphat, now who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face tomorrow, and go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down to the face to the ground, and all the people of Jehuel, uh, Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. And then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. 
Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, and all people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they begin to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert, they looked towards this vast army. They saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. This is one of the most interesting events, I think, in the Bible. Because you have this army, these two armies lining up against each other to fight. And when the orders are given to march forward and advance into battle, who is at the front of the Israelite army? It's the worship team. It's those who are going to praise God are sent out in front of the troops to lead the way into battle. That's a scary proposition. If any of you have ever fought in combat in here, I mean, Joel, think about it. If they said, hey, can we send out the band before you march into that area of Iraq? Would you have been, good plan? You would have said, they're all going to die. What idiots. Why are they doing that? You know, I mean, it doesn't make sense. But it is the winning formula. In the kingdom of God, A lot of times, how things advance are not the ways that we would think that they advance. Because as they start to worship, what it says here is that God starts to set traps for the enemy. I want you to think about that for a minute. How many of you, when you're looking in your life, when you're looking at, you've had a week, and you look back on your week, and you say to yourself, man, it looks like the enemy has had snares and ambushes all along my walk that week. Everywhere I've been, everything that I've done, there is the enemy, and he keeps, seems to keep constantly attacking me. Have you ever said to yourself, maybe the answer to these attacks from the enemy is to stop and to spend some time in worship? Because see, in this text, we find out that when we stop and when we worship, God sets traps for the enemy. God sets traps for the enemy. God sets traps to to shut them down, to keep them out, to destroy them. I mean, the army literally turned on itself. The army literally started fighting with each other, and Israel had to do nothing because the Israelite army went out and worshipped. God set traps. If you're surrounded, if you're under attack, if things are going crazy in your life, Stop and worship God so that he can set traps around you to defeat the enemy that's coming against you. And the second thing here is that worship, when we have, when we do worship here on a Sunday morning, when we personally worship, we are being led into battle. You guys may say to yourself, why do we do worship in a service? Why do we have 
Eden and the singers up here and the rest of the worship team up here playing and leading us in worship? Is it just so that we can do some cool stuff, so that we can play some cool songs, so that Greg can show us how great of a guitar player he is? I mean, is that why we do those things? No, that's not why we do those things. We do those things because as Eden steps up here and as worship begins, we are stepping into a battle. See, this is an opportunity in worship to really push forward and make advances and see the kingdom of God push forward and push through a lot of the enemy's snares, traps, and darkness that's around us. And when we are not worshiping, we're missing opportunities for breakthrough in both the traps that the enemy sets as well as us pushing against the forces of darkness, moving them back and moving us forward as a church. We cannot miss that opportunity to push the darkness back as we step out into battle. And so, what do I mean by worship? Let's start there, okay? Worship is an act of praise to God. It's ascribing worth to God. And so what worship is for each one of us may look, will probably look a little different. Some people raise their hands. Some people will dance. Some people will sing really loudly. Some people will shout. Some people will scream. Okay, there's all kinds of different ways that we worship God. But here's the deal. We have to make sure that when worship is going on, that we are actually worshiping in order to have that encounter. Whatever that looks like to us, we've got to make sure that we're doing it. Because if we're not doing worship, if we're not worshiping God, if we're not stopping and ascribing worth to God for who he is, we're missing out. And some of you say, well, but that's just not who I am. Okay, you know, I get that. Some people are just not very expressive. But let's run a couple of litmus tests before we say to ourselves that we are not uh, 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 that kind of person. So you're driving down the road, you got the music on in the car, you're cruising along, and all of a sudden your, uh, uh, your jam from Bruno Mars comes on, treasure, that is who you are. And you're in the car and you're singing it and you're clapping it, and then you say when you get to church, man, that's not me. Okay, that's, that's a bunch of junk, okay? Because if in your car Bruno Mars got you going... Why can't Jesus get you saying, treasure, that is who you are? <laughs> and then, of course, we have the always in front of us sports test for us men, even some of you women. If your team is playing and you're watching the game and you can scream and you can yell and you can throw stuff at your TV, it's in you, baby. If you watching little Timmy play football gets you screaming and yelling and ready to fight a coach, it's in you. You can worship. You can enter into God's presence. 
and not have to worry about what else is, whatever else is going on around you and who's around you. And then even for those of you who would say, okay, I never sing with the radio in my car. If my kid's playing sports, I'm chill. I don't show any emotions. Some of us are just like that. It's just not who I am. Um, I would ask this question. So there's a lot of people out there that just hate school, hate studying, just can't do it. It's so much work. It's just outside of who they are. Do we have anybody in here that would say that's them today? All right, we got quite a few hands. So if, let me, if I were to ask you this question, if I were to say, okay, there is two classes that you can take in college, and if you take these two classes, your job will give you a $100,000 a year raise. How many of us are saying, I don't care if I don't know, if I'm not that good at studying, I don't care if I don't like it, I'm getting in there and taking those two classes to make an extra hundred grand a year. How much, are, how much of us are down with that? Yeah, exactly. If money can motivate us to come outside of our personality and how we're wired, cannot the living God who saved us, who transformed us, and who set us free give us the ability to come and to step out and you say, no, you know what, Jesus, this is not who I am. This is not how I'm wired. But because of you, because of the freedom, because of the war that we're stepping into, I can do it. I can do it. All right, 2 Chronicles is not the only place in the Bible that something like that happened in worship. We're going to move over to the Old Test or New Testament now, and we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Uh, Acts is the history of the early church. It tells us how the church went from being one church in one location to churches all over the known world at the time. And uh, in Acts chapter 16, our guy, uh, guys named Paul and Silas are in the city of Philippi. The gospel has now reached Europe. This is our first establishment of a church in Europe. And uh, as they get to the city of Philippi, they begin to tell people about Jesus, and they encounter some trouble, and they were attacked. And uh, so here's what happens. I'm going to be reading in Acts 16, verses 22 through 28. <clears throat> this is what it says. It says, a crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. All right. So Paul and Silas, they're in jail. They start to worship. Suddenly there's an earthquake. The doors of the cell fly open, and everyone's chains come loose. Everyone's chains came loose. You know what that means? That means even people who were not believers had their chains come loose when Paul and Silas began to worship God. You see, not only does worship set ambushes for the enemy, but it breaks chains in our lives, but not just in our lives. It has the power to break chains in people's lives who are outside of this church, living in this city. 
See, when we step up here and when we worship, God has given us a place of power where we can see chains broken off of people's lives and see people set free, delivered, and living where God wants them to live. And that is the power, that is the, 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 the power that worship has. I mean, even Paul and Silas, they were in an extra level of chains. They were in stocks. And, you know, if you've been to some old western town, you know what stocks are? It's that wooden thing that you stick arms and legs and your head through and they lock it down. I mean, it's just an extra level of security. But yet, that was still broken off. God was able to set them free. And there are some people here right now that have something that is holding their life like a stock and they want to get out of it. And a way to get out of it is to come in and to worship. To worship Jesus and allow the power of God to come and move and break those stocks, break those chains off of your life. When I first became a follower of Jesus, I was 21, student at the University of Minnesota. I didn't grow up and I didn't know any, any of the, any, anything really. And I started going to this church. It was a really big church. They were doing, you know, for that time, they were doing the new contemporary music, whatever. And so I was at a small group one time, and uh, they gave out, like, two sheets of paper that had different songs on it. Well, instead of turning mine in at the end, I took mine home. And so what I would do is I would take those songs, and every single night before I would have prayer, I would sing, like, four or five of those songs. Now, if you've heard me sing, it's not very good. But I took those songs and I sang those songs and the power of God would come down into my bedroom. It would meet me there and I had a whole bunch of chains, a whole bunch of bondage on my life because of the life that I was living before I had followed Jesus. But you know what? As I worshiped, as I spent time in word, as I spent time in prayer, but in that worship time, God used that incredibly and powerfully to break chains off of my life because it was just a radical, powerful encounter with God. I had no idea idea that, that, that that's what God had said in his word to do that, but I did it. And it, I just saw things changing so fast and so radically in my life because I did that, and God wants to do the same with you. And so reading those two events, just even reading them without me saying anything, should convince us that worship has breakthrough power. And we can sit here and we can nod in agreement and we can say, yes, worship has breakthrough power. But do we really expect on Sunday mornings for worship to have that breakthrough power when we walk through the door? So how are we responding to it is the question. Worship starts. How are we responding to it? I'm going to tell you a story in closing um, about... uh, it happened at two different churches, but I'm going to tell you about Marion Oaks Assembly in Ocala. We'd gotten there as a youth pastor, and uh, we were, uh, we'd been there about a year and a half, and uh, the church was, uh, or the youth ministry was slowly growing. We got there with about 15 kids, and we were at about 40 kids, but the kid, it was just, there was something that was weighing on it, and I just felt like God was telling me that it was worship. It was because when we got there, when, when we did worship, nobody or, or the ma- vast majority of kids were not entering into God's presence through worship. I didn't know how to fix that. 
But one night we had this all-nighter. And every time I do an all-nighter for youth, we'd always have a service at like one or two o'clock in the morning because it's a good time because the kids are tired, you know, they, they're, they're ready to sit down. And, and so we did this service and worship started and we just watched the 35 kids just all of a sudden, I don't even know why, they just raised their hands. They started to worship. They all came to the front as we were leading worship. But it didn't stop there. See, what happened after that was we went to our Friday night regular youth service the following week. And those 35 kids that encountered Jesus in worship came forward that night and started to worship while the other kids looked on. The other kids saw them experiencing and encountering the power of God and saw God do things in their lives. And so pretty soon everybody started coming forward. The next thing you know, we, the, the youth group after that event was when we saw God do some dramatic things and bring in a whole bunch of kids to minister in that way. And so for us as a church to get the breakthrough, for us as a church to break through this wall, to push through and to be the influence and the source of power in God's presence in this community, we have to be able to push past where we are at now. And we have to be able to push forward into worship. We have to be able to push forward when we come in here on a Sunday morning and we have to be able to say, God, whatever it is you want to do through worship, I am here to worship and enter into your presence. God, just do something great and we are pushing back the darkness. We are setting snares. We are destroying the hold of the enemy. And we don't want anything else.